By way of reminder, we do not have children's church this morning, but we love to have our children join us in the service for the sermon and uh, have noticed already how they know what is right and true, even sometimes when we forget. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28, uh, we'll be looking at this verse and referring to some others that I'll have on the screen for you. We will be looking at the subject of the triune God as we study the doctrine of the Trinity. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Almighty God, give us your grace as we consider this most deep doctrine. As we look for understanding to your word, send your spirit that we might have understanding, that we might live these things out for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a lot of confusion about the Trinity, what it is, what it means, how you even describe it. And, and this is across the board. Uh, if you look at surveys, most people who even profess to be Christians in the United States could not describe for you what the Trinity is with any sort of accuracy or tell you what it means for their lives. I grew up. Uh, in a church where we sang the hymn that we sang earlier, Holy, 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 quite often, and I loved that hymn, and I thought, how exciting! God in three persons, blessed Trinity, that there is a hymn in our hymn book dedicated to my church, Trinity, United Methodist Church. It was was all about our, our church. I had no idea that our church was actually named after the doctrine to which that hymn refers But if we are, as Jesus tells us in the Great Commission, to be baptized into the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, those two mean the same. If we are to be baptized into the triune name of God, we ought to understand what it means that we worship and believe in and entrust ourselves to a God who is one yet three. But do we understand what that even means? Do we understand how that is relevant to how we live our lives, to how we worship? I have no uh, pretense or, or uh, uh, I have no, I'm not as arrogant to think that I can in one short sermon make you all experts on the Trinity. 
There are scholars who have dedicated themselves to studying this their whole lives, and they still are astounded by the mystery of it. But what I do hope to do this morning is remind us all of how important this is, how central this is, and how relevant this is to our lives and to our walk with the Lord. And so we're going to look at the doctrine of the Trinity uh, and see that it points us to at least three things. It points us to the majesty of our God. It points us to the mystery of our God. And it points us to the ministry of our God to us. So we're going to look at the doctrine of the Trinity and see how it points us to the majesty of our God, the mystery of our God, and the ministry of our God to us. First thing I want us to look at is to see and consider how the doctrine of the Trinity points us to the utter and complete majesty of our God. There's a lot of talk about God out there. And there used to be TV shows, Touched by an Angel, Highway to Heaven. They they weren't even afraid on on the public airwaves to reference God. I even once was invited to participate in a, a panel discussion at a public university with different religious faiths to talk about our view of God. And was immensely frustrated at that panel to have the moderator say, well, at the end... You know, we all just worship the same God anyway. Which was the exact opposite of what I had been trying to say the whole time. We don't just worship the same God. Even though people sort of assume that we do. The God of Islam is is one. He is a a mono-deity. He doesn't exist in three persons. He is in and of himself the only uh, eternal being. The, the spirituality of Hinduism looks to an impersonal divine being that we will be absorbed into when we reach those higher levels of spirituality. We will lose our personhood and our personality and be absorbed into the great oversoul where we will exist in a divine force or substance Forever. The Mormon gods are plural. They're polytheists. I've even had a Mormon ask me, couldn't the Trinity just be three gods who really agree on most things? (laughs) No, it cannot be that. We don't all worship the same God. And the the Christian doctrine of the Trinity sets our God apart as majestic and holy and mighty in who he is, and he is unlike any other God. He's not just three different gods, nor is he just one God that has three different names. Here in this passage in Mark, The readers are astounded that that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the heavens were torn open and the Spirit of God descended upon him. And a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father, said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. 
a benediction that God had pronounced on no one else like this. Something incredible was happening. Jesus was no mere man. And so the the basics of the Trinity are as we confessed them earlier when we had our confession of faith adapted from the shorter catechism. God is one God. But he exists in three distinct persons who are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. It's hard to wrap our brains around what that means. We can think about things in units. There's one glass of water. There are three poinsettias up here. We can even think in terms of of community. We're all here together. But to think of one thing that exists in three distinct capacities defies all explanation. But this is our God. It was unlike us. It was unlike anything else in all of creation. He is the one who made all things. And Christians have time and time and time again come back to this doctrine revealed in Scripture to keep us from stumbling into the heresies that have plagued mankind for so long. Oh, there are many gods. Just pick one. Or there's just one God, but really he's so eternal and mighty, he's not even knowable. You've never even seen him. You might just hear about him. No, our God One God who exists in three persons invites us into community and relationship with him. This creator God who made all things. The entire Trinity was at work at the beginning of time. God the Father spoke the word. that We read later, the word is the Lord Jesus. He spoke the word and brought all things into existence. And he did this through the Spirit hovered over the waters. The triune God was at work in creation, bringing everything to bear. And yet there is nothing like God in creation. He stands apart from it. There are things that point to him. We ourselves are made in his image. There are things that remind us of his power and glory, but he is creator and everything else is created. And if we're to understand anything about the Trinity, we must understand that our God is beyond our conceiving. He is beyond our understanding. He is majestic and full of splendor. And he is unlike any other God that the world has tried to produce. And it's worth spending some time meditating on this because sometimes I fear that our conception of God is that he's really dull. Is your God too dull? A God who's easily explainable, whose ways and being you can understand and figure out and explain? Is your God just this impersonal force that sort of helps you out as you go? 
Or are you captivated by how incredible and inexplicable the nature and being of our God is? That he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Does he amaze you? The Trinity ought to point us to just how amazing he is. Just how majestic and full of splendor he is that we would stand in awe of our God more than any other thing. It's not just that he is majestic. The doctrine of the Trinity also points us to the deep mystery that is our God. Mysteries sort of demand being figured out. We want to know, the, you know, who the murderer was at the end of the movie. We want to know how all the, the things get sorted out. And in trying to figure out the mystery of the Trinity, sometimes we've tried to explain it with all kinds of illustrations. Illustrations that inevitably fail. I have a great little book in my office designed for children that talks about the Trinity in terms of an apple. The skin is the apple. The the, the flesh, the part you eat, is the apple, but it's not the skin. The core is the apple, but it's not the skin or the the flesh. The skin, all of it's apple, but they're all different parts and aspects of the apple. And that's awesome as far as it goes, but... But God's not, a, God's not an apple. Like he, he goes so much deeper, so much further than that. Or others have said, you know, it's like a three-leaf clover, not a four-leaf clover. It's like a three-leaf clover, right? It's all clover, but they're all connected, and there are these different ways you can connect to it. Or, but God's not a clover. Or it's, it's like water that can be ice, or it can be steam, or it can be liquid. But God, God is not water. All, all of these illustrations are trying to, to number out three things, but put them together at the same time. And yet God, the way he is in his innermost being, defies illustration because he's God. He, he doesn't just appear in different ways. That's the ancient heresy of modalism. Sometimes God appears as the Father. Sometimes God appears as Jesus. Sometimes God appears as the Spirit. But no, God in three persons exists in a way that we cannot in our finite minds fully comprehend. In Him, both unity and diversity exist in harmony. You can think about this in our world today. That there is this radical individualism that is just running rampant through our culture. You be you. Figure out who you are and just be that. Whether it's regard to your sexual identity or to your job or your vocation or to what you worship. Just you be you. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't be who you feel that you are in your heart. 
But then we also have a culture that likes to cancel people that when they are who they want to be, they don't line up with what we think they ought to be, right? We live in this tension, and this is all over the place. The, well, you don't follow the, the right political figure, that I, or you don't like the right policies, or you didn't say the right things on your social media, or you didn't watch the right shows or the movies or whatever, and no, you're canceled, you're done. We don't know how to be free in our individuality, but also united in our community. And we always just run amok. But in God, unity and diversity exist in harmony and have for all eternity. This is why God is love. Love is You have to have other persons for love to even be a thing. And in the one God who exists in three persons, there is such loving and deep, diverse community that has existed for all eternity that we cannot even conceive of it. And yet, this God who exists in his being in a way that we can't even explain or see or work out in our lives, invites us to join in the mystery of who he is, to be united with his being, to have fellowship with him. And the whole Trinity is at work inviting us to to search out the mystery of who he is. We read in Ephesians that, that through him, that is Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What an amazing thing that God would take Jew and Gentile, we both, and so work in the power of his Spirit through the, the work of his Son that he could unite them together in perfect unity. And invite them into his very presence to dwell. In a world where we can't even figure out how to be individuals and be a community without tearing one another apart, God is building in his church a people who are gathered from such diverse places, diverse backgrounds, diverse ethnicities, diverse socioeconomic levels, diverse levels of education. He is uniting them together into a community that is unlike any other, that is united in him and invited to fellowship with him together. The the Trinity points to the mystery of God and invites us to search it out. And what we find as we gather together and are conformed more and more into his likeness and image, is that there is no end to searching him out into the wonders of who he is and what he can do in us and through us. And that's why the Trinity also points us to the ministry of our God to us. Sometimes, we might think that the Trinity matters only to theologians. That it's just these, you know, seminary debates that people have when they get a little too much theological education, but it has no real relevance to our day-to-day life and affairs. Nothing could be further from the truth. The, The Trinity is immensely 
relevant to who we are and how we live. It always amazes me how there are these moments where I'll say something a certain way. Oh, that's, I sound just like my dad. Right. This, this happens to us, right? You, you walk by a mirror and you, you think your, your mom is there. But, oh, no, that's, that's me. Uh, or you, you say something or do something a certain way and it just strikes you. This is just like my parents. And sometimes it's great and glorious things. And sometimes it's all the bad and miserable things that we always swore to ourselves we would never do or never say. When sin entered into the world, it brought great and grievous distortions so that we pass down from Adam to his children to ours and on and on this sinful and broken nature. And so even those things that, that we might admire in our parents, they, they, they sometimes come out distorted and twisted because sin works corruption in us and through us. But our Heavenly Father, before all of that, made us in His image. And He would not see that image distorted forever. And he has set about the work of redeeming and restoring us, his people, to himself, healed and whole. That he might restore in us what it means to be in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he might make us like him. And so the whole trinity devoted itself not just to the work of creation, but also to the work of redemption. With God the Father planning this great and mighty work. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to earth in the form of a man to take the sins of his people upon himself and to accomplish that great work of salvation. And God the Holy Spirit going forth out into the world to illuminate us and apply that great salvation to our lives. And if we are to understand what it means to be renewed and restored in the likeness and image of God, we ought to understand what our God is like. Where is it that he is taking us? Because it's not just you as an individual that he's restoring. It's us as his people that he's restoring. That unity and diversity he's bringing together in Christ to make us whole together as his people. And we see it in Galatians and elsewhere in Scripture where the whole trinity is at work. For Paul remarks that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, has relevance for you 
as sons and daughters of God. And there are those who have had a marred and imperfect understanding of the Trinity who have thought, well, Jesus is the Son, so he's less than the Father. And the Spirit is lesser still. And they've devised all sorts of twisted and and devious ways of ordering the family and of ordering society because they don't understand what it means that Jesus is Son and what it means that we are too in Him. And so there is in this doctrine of the Trinity uh, these big words, the ontological trinity. It's just a fancy way of saying who God is in his being, in his essence. He's God. I might not be able to write that out in a chemical equation for you, but, but if you want to know, like God in his being, the very essence of who he is is divine. He is God. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. Fully, completely, truly But there's also this economic trinity. Economics is, just comes for the, uh, uh, the law of the house, how things work themselves out. There is the way the three persons of the trinity actually interact with us and, and accomplish the work of God in this world. And we see the Father plans, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. But not because the Son is lesser given the name that's above every name. Not because the Spirit is some impersonal force so that we can learn to move mountains with our minds. No, God himself comes and makes his dwelling place in us and among us. If we're to understand what it means that God is at work restoring us in his image, we ought to understand more and more about who he is. And what's amazing about all of this is that when we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, He is not just inviting us to stand in awe of who He is. He's not just inviting us to search out the the mystery and the glory of who He is. He is inviting us to join with Him in the ministry and work that He's doing in this world. And so the Lord Jesus says, now you go and make disciples. You also come with me and be at work in this world, redeeming people. We, we cannot do that on our own. We're not God, but we get to participate with him in his work of redemption in this world. And so the Trinity ought to shape your work in this world. Ought to shape who you think you are and how you go about doing what it is you do in obedience and in awe of God. And time does not permit to talk about all of the ways that will work itself out. But let me leave you with this one point of application. How will you step into the new year Seeking to behold your God as he is. To behold your God anew. To not just go through the motions, but to seek out, to study this great and glorious mystery. To live in awe and a reverence 
of this great and glorious king to devote yourself to doing the works he's prepared for you to do. How will who your God is shape you? There may have been a time when we were younger where we'd put our calculus book under our pillow and hope that through the night we would learn differentials and integrals by osmosis. But if you ever got far enough along to take the test, you realized that that doesn't work and it doesn't work in chemistry either. Sometimes we become very bored with our God and we live as if he's irrelevant. And we act as if he's really small. If the doctrine of the Trinity moves us to anything, it ought to move us to real, intentional reflection and renewal in him, growing in our understanding of who he is and what he's done. May he lead us in that work of reflection and renewal that we might indeed be more and more conformed to his likeness and image. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, we need your grace to just understand who you are. We need your grace to to learn how to search it out and seek out more and greater understanding of your being and nature. We need your help to be able to to obey that high calling to participate in your work in this world. So, Father, Son, and Spirit, abound to us with your grace and make us like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.